really and truly, you should own the goals. If you're the ESG person or if you're the energy manager, it doesn't matter. But you should own your goals and you should always challenge yourself. And yeah, you're going to have some slip ups and you're not going to make it, but that's a learning process. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hey everyone, it's John Fiella, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. If you've listened to episodes in the past and haven't already done so, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. It'll help in our ratings, and we really want to get the word out on what it is we're doing here at Smart Energy Voices. Today, we're going to be sharing a panel conversation from our recent Net Zero Forum, which was moderated by SED's Director of Education Programs, Peter Kelly Dittweiler. The panel is uh, covering real-time challenges that companies are facing on their road to net zero. It's actually a compilation of comments and notes from peer-to-peer discussions that took place at the event. Peter's joined by Ryan Spees, Vice President of Sustainability for Clayco, Marianella Franklin, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and Michael Shepard, Director of Maintenance, Energy, and Engineering at Harris Teeter. One quick note, the audio was a little difficult to capture on the panel here, so you may hear some uh, echoes, but it's certainly clear enough for you to get value out of the great content and insights that they shared during the session. So let's get into it right now. Here's the panel. So what we did during the peer-to-peer conversation is we gathered people from each one of those sectors in a room and basically asked them, what are some of the key challenges that you are facing in this transition to net zero? And what are some of the solutions that we may be able to help each other encounter and move forward with? And so I had a chance to pop in from one room to the next. And by the time I was in the third room, I almost laughed out loud because one common thread was we're getting these targets from somewhere, usually the C-suite, who don't always understand the limitations of the technologies we're dealing with or our day-to-day activities. And yet, we also, by the way, have very limited resources. And yet, these are the things we are tasked with delivering. So that common thread ran throughout the conversations in each one of the three rooms. And it's not surprising because all of you out there who are on the buyer's side are facing the same sort of thing. So what I'd like to do now is have each one of you go through the conversations in about 10 or 12 minutes that you had. Yeah, we're going to make this real easy, right? In just a few, you know, say 10 to 12 minutes, what were the main themes that you encountered based on the slides we have here. And we'll start with you, Marianella, and then talk about some of the solutions. So yeah, we'll all sit down, okay, great. make ourselves comfortable, <laughs> and uh, we'll put you in the hot seat to start with. Great. So we had a unique conversation, and most of our targets were set on asking each other questions and going over 
some of our challenges and also maybe some possible solutions. So within all that, we looked at the fact that targets set by those who don't understand implications or don't even set targets is a common theme. And so we have an issue with our higher management, understanding, really educating our higher management about everything that's happening and really helping them understand through a financial analysis and building a strong business case around this. Always looking at the ability to also add resiliency and avoid risk when having those communications with them. There's also the lack of funding and resources. It is becoming more and more difficult to hire people, and there's all these unfilled openings. And so, again, going back to the situation and the circumstances we're all facing today, and this also interconnected and tied to the financial aspect because some of these, some of these unfilled openings are due to the lack of funding. I mean, it's, it's no longer easy to hire someone when the higher management is not understanding that these positions should be now at a much higher level than, than what is being posted. And the reporting aspect, reporting and accuracy of information. More and more, the accuracy of information is difficult. And it for us, it must be agnostic in order for a VP of finance to review this information and trust the information We rely on agnostic information. And so looking at also reporting structures and the fact that these reporting structures are changing on a regular basis, that is something that has become a common thread. And also the fact that the more and more these reporting structures change, again, tied back to funding, it's costing more in order to comply with those. I have some notes here because I want to make sure I don't miss some of the information that was provided. There's also a big disconnect with legislative requirements and the fact that carbon reductions are seen as punitive action rather than investments. So this is also tied back to that aspect. And at the end of the day, some of the solutions were really looking at a different type of structure in the communication we have as suppliers and as buyers, and making sure that we talk more about benefit sharing systems, where we're both invested, and at the end of the day, we're both going to gain from whatever solution is designed. Thank you. So you mentioned in the conversation educating higher management, and in fact, that theme also came out across a number of conversations. Can you elucidate a little bit around what might be involved in that conversation so that the folks who are setting the targets have a clear understanding of what some of those implications involve? We need to have all the stakeholders at the table. When it comes to higher education, it's not just one person. We need to make sure that we have everyone from contracts and legal and procurement and facilities and the VP of finance and and his entire budget office all involved. And we must speak everyone's language. We must be able to help them understand what is coming, what is out there, what is coming, and what it's going to take. And as I mentioned, these need to be accurate 
pieces of information for each and every one of these individuals. And so building a business case for this is no longer just, oh, you know, here's a successful solution from such and such university. It's not going to work when we're talking about different states and different regulations. We really need to sit down with those of you who have had the experience for each and every one of these complexities, which we were just hearing about with NRG and and Craig. Thanks, and I'm not going to let you out of the hot seat quite yet. One more question. You mentioned the agnostic sources versus, say, what one might be getting originally from a vendor, each of which has its own business models and approaches. So what's the difference, and how, how do you think about what's an agnostic source that then you can turn around and say to management, I have vetted this, and it's something I feel comfortable representing. How does that conversation unfold? I've had the opportunity to work with many of you here in the room for our specific needs, and agnostic sources can come from you as well. I know that many of you work with, with, with subcontractors that have these agnostic resources, so it doesn't need to be as difficult as one may think. It's also really verifying the information. We have to do our due diligence as well as doing our research and verifying where the information is coming from. It's a win-win situation when we can be transparent about where this information is coming from and how we can put it together in a way that it's useful to both of us. Thank you. Now we'll turn to buildings. Michael, some of the challenges you're observing and your team observed in that space today in that conversation. Yeah, we had a great diverse team. So we had folks from manufacturing, we had folks from quick serve restaurants, we had uh, supermarkets in the room. And really and truly, some of the challenges are around goals and goals being set for us and the distinction between goal setters and those tasked with execution. It causes us a lot of heartache that someone in the C-suite or someone even higher than that at our parent company will set a goal with no idea of what it takes to get to that goal. So education is really important, especially from our level up and our level down as well. And then the goal setters need to really be mindful of what they're committing to from a financial standpoint. They need to understand the intricate pieces that we have to put together and what their investment tolerance is long-term. This is not a short, quick fix thing that we can do. It's going to take time and effort. And then, as Mary Nella said earlier, it's data collection and being able to take that data all into either a single platform or be able to digest it so that the stakeholders understand it. What really hits their need, is it sales? Is it efficiency? Is it ROI? What are they really looking for? I know in my case, supermarket, we're a very low margin business. My CFO understands sales. So if I can equate what I save or what I do in my business to sales, it translates to him. It's a commonality that you really need to know for your stakeholders. Really understanding new legislation as it's coming out time and time again, and also the regulation piece. You know, different states, investor-owned utilities as compared to open market, 
those kind of things. For us, we really need platforms where we can go and see what the differentiation is. As we operate in several states, most of y'all operate, or some of y'all operate nationwide. We really need a good platform that gives us that information at hand. And then education for both behavioral and cultural. We all have a culture within our business. And that culture really drives how we go to market, how we're seen in the market. So driving that cultural change or driving behavioral all the way down to the hourly associates, all the way up through the C-suite. That's one of our biggest challenges is really educating those people to what we're doing and how we're presenting that information. Thank you. So those were some of the challenges, and you've identified some of these already. When you and I were discussing this, it reminded me of back in the day when I was a Constellation selling DR. Someone once said to me, you got to take the elevator down to the basement and talk to the facilities manager, and you got to take the elevator up to the C-suite. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what the team's impression was around some of those internal challenges and aligning the culture for success? Most businesses are siloed. This person is responsible for this, this, and this, and budgets that surround that. So you don't mess in those silos. So really and truly from a, I actually have maintenance, energy, and engineering. I get to traverse those silos pretty easily. We're also a very flat organization when it comes to executives. So I have one step to the president from me. So I have to educate the C-suite on where we're going, how we set these goals, and those kinds of things. But I have to go all the way down to the mechanic level because we have internal mechanics because they can really and truly affect the outcome of anything we try to do. All with a twist of a screwdriver, a set point in a computer, and to get to where you can have visibility in all of that and to traverse both sides, it's really about culture and education. Really is within your company. Thanks. And my favorite quote, I think, (laughs) ranging across the three rooms and listening to what was going on, and everyone was talking about the challenges of those goals. My favorite quote went something like, if the roadmap is, if the path is too visible and too achievable, well, maybe that roadmap isn't ambitious enough. Can you expound a little bit around what that conversation was like in the room when yeah. that came up? It was almost an aha moment. I can't remember who said it. If From you're Bloomberg. In... Yeah, Jason. Yeah, it was Jason. Jason. Thank you, yeah. Jason. Jason, that was a great comment. And really and truly, it's true. We have to actually set stretch goals. The easy ones are, are really not working hard enough at it. A lot of corporations want to be very safe, very, we can get here, do we put this out? Do we, and that's why you see a lot of corporations that never set goals because they don't want to be held accountable on the backside. And really and truly, you should own the goals in your organization. If you're the ESG person or if you're the energy manager, it doesn't matter. But you should own your goals, and you should always challenge yourself. And, yeah, you're going to have some slip-ups, and you're not going to make it to some of those, but that's a learning process. And I would rather reach a goal that's higher and not quite reach it than to set one low so I can be safe. And that was kind of the sentiment within, within our group. 
they were very engaged. They after after we ended, they actually had side conversations about different things. So it's the peer to peer piece of this is huge for us. Yeah, well, there were two comments or things I observed. One is one of the other groups said, "Oh, those guys next door were really loud." I think that was you all. Yeah, it was. And, us. I, yeah. <laughs> and when they came to clean the room, these guys were still there and they wouldn't leave. So yeah. that conversation went on for quite some time. So any other comments around the solutions? And then we're going to jump a little bit into the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, I mean, really and truly, you need to quantify what inefficiencies there are, whether you're the ESG person or the energy guy or the maintenance guy or any of those folks. The inefficiencies and then build upon them. My advice to any of the new energy managers, I think we had one in our in our group, was to take one or two good projects that make an impact and build the trust with the folks within your organization. As you build trust both up and down in your organization, you will gain more and more traction. I was the first director of energy at Harris Theater 19 years ago. And I've been able to really and truly build trust within my organization that I never thought was attainable. Thanks. And then the IRA, there were some, well, suffice it to say, I think the question was asked, has anybody read through the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the response to that? Yeah. As most documents that come out like that, there's a lot of fluff and a lot of, I can't imagine. <laughs> If you want to go to sleep, please start reading it. <laughs> but really and truly, I think, you know, I think it came out, what, two weeks ago? And I think it's too early to tell. You know, let the experts dig through it in the building. I, I definitely don't have time to read the entire document and definitely looking for cliff notes. But, you know, I think it's too early to tell at this point what the impact to us as buyers will be. I think there's some opportunities that were brought up in ours that NGOs may be able to help us digest this and acquire funding and some of those kinds of things. I think it's really an open market for someone to take it and figure out how they can help us execute it. Yeah, with $370 billion at stake, it uh, probably does make sense for somebody to figure that out, doesn't it? Well, I think the comment from uh, somebody in our room was that, you know, their folks have been digging into it for the past two weeks and they don't have any any clue to what's all in it. So, Well, thank you. All right. We'll turn now to uh, Ryan Spies from Quaco to discuss the manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would say, first of all, we had a really great group of manufacturers, people that are in a different space. And, and similar to these guys, you know, we saw... Goal setting was a challenge and being told, here are your goals, what does it mean to you? And, and so similar, similar challenges and, and obviously similar solutions, external pressures, that sort of thing. What, what jumped out, I think, from a manufacturing realm, which is a little bit different, is there's such you know, a focus for manufacturers on scope one and how that is a big challenge. And that is probably different than these guys, that scope one is still the heavy challenge for the industry. And scope two is still one that they're solving. And, and of course, when you look out at the landscape, renewables are still an, an opportunity. Of course, we're, we're experiencing some challenges with that right now in the short term. But that solution at least has a pathway. There doesn't seem to quite be a pathway for scope one. 
in terms of technology mm-hmm. that's available, in terms of the cost of technology and, and things like that. So that was a, a challenge that we really talked through. Similar to you guys, right? Resources, not just cash to do projects, whether that's energy efficiency or upgrading equipment, but people. People is a real challenge, whether that's bringing people that you already have on board to understand what your goals are and help you achieve them, or bringing on new people to understand, hey, this is the way we've done it. This is the way we've been successful. How do we now implement sustainability strategy? You're, you're a sustainability manager. You're coming into our, our company. You need to learn how we do things. And so both of those are, are big challenges, I think, in the manufacturing world, you know, just from a, a labor perspective. We, we talked about the technical solutions. I just mentioned that, too, for scope one, right? It's There aren't a lot of technical solutions quite yet. And so that's that's been a challenge. The other piece was really thinking about internal governance. So um, as mentioned before, I think we're all experiencing very similar challenges. You have mandates or goals or especially, you know, SEC requirements that we're all thinking about and how are those going to be implemented? How will those affect each one of our companies is still murky. It's still unclear. But there's a push to, okay, let's go do science-based targets, right? Like, we, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll go. And the science is telling us we've got a lot of work to do, and we don't have the structure to support it. And so, you know, we talked through that. And, and I will say, when we can move on to solutions, I'm sure the developers and the solutions providers here in the room will be excited here. We do not have all the solutions. So we're excited that you're here to partner with us and help us figure that out. Right there, there was clear, there was sharing of our challenges, but not necessarily answers. And so if we want to go to that, some of them, they felt years away, certainly on scope one, right? Going to hydrogen. How do you change a plant to go from natural gas to hydrogen? Not at all straightforward, not exactly available even in almost all of our markets. So that was a, an area that we all agreed we needed help with. You know, one of the things that we really thought about too was, how do we learn from peers to at least get started? Marty from Intel really had a great point. It's we cannot cut and paste the best or copy and paste the best solutions, but what we can do is learn from each other, and that was the greatest thing, I think, that came out of the room. You can't cut and paste because you're all in different industries, right? Is it's that, different is industries, that, yeah. and, and, yeah. and honestly, even from one manufacturer to another, the way you do business is right. differently, right. right? That makes you competitors. Yeah. That make you, but I can learn from mm-hmm. other manufacturers, and we can learn from each other in the room. And, and I think that facilitation, I mean, I, I was a little nervous getting up there, John. You asked me to do this. I didn't realize that many people were going to be in the room. <laughs> but everybody was so open and excited to be engaging. And, and it wasn't because the developers, you guys, weren't in the room. It was because we all share these challenges. And it's nice to have a room of peers that maybe we've never worked with that can help lead us to better solutions. So that was exciting. I think they're open. And, and so if you meet manufacturers here, some folks that have some real challenges that I think you can help solve. You know, we talked through technical solutions, right, to scope one, whether that's fuel switching or electrifying or retrofitting. Not always the case. You know, from the I, I was in manufacturing for the last decade, but as a builder now, we're seeing people ask for electrified buildings, as we talked about in, in Florida at, at the last SED group. And that's great, but what do you do with a plant you're definitely not going to build a new one of? And I think there, there's, there's long roads to those challenges that we don't have the solution quite yet. Thank you. Any, any yeah. other, you know... I would say for the IRA, too, yeah. um, I think that 
the feeling was mutual, right? We don't know all the good stuff that's in there. We believe there is. And developers, you're telling us you know already, and we know you don't quite know, but <laughs> we're excited that you're the ones that are going to figure it out and find those, those economics that are going to change and hopefully change for the better. I know that we were, there were some, some in our group that were excited about the stacking of, of the different uh, incentives for, for renewables and how if you've got a really strong ESG program, you probably would support low income and, and yep. the other, some of the benefits that can stack on top of that U.S. made uh, material. So people are excited, but we need, we need guidance for sure. And, and that really came out pretty strongly. Thanks, Ryan, Marianella, and Michael for your insights. And Peter, you did a great job pulling this together. Thanks so much for everything you do for smart energy decisions. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to Smart Energy Voices and being part of our community. If you enjoyed this episode of Smart Energy Voices, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. And to learn about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.